Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn about our work to make Christ known to the nations or our ministry in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we continue a consideration of the happy, righteous man described in Psalm 1. There in this psalm is an anticipation of joy to be experienced by the uncompromising righteous person. In the rest of the psalms, there are usually found laments, laments that are rooted in the feeling that the righteousness longed for in this first psalm have not been reached. The laments actually show us that people have a hard time letting go of their dreams of happiness, of a righteous happiness, even when it's not been fulfilled. And I think it is God who keeps that dream alive in the hearts of people. He keeps that dream there because he wants to fulfill that dream in anyone who would come to him for the answer. And his reign will be glorious. And that kingdom finds its objective focus in the reign of David. And through David, through his sons, until one day, one son will seize and grab hold of and give expression to this righteous rule. And there are songs of great glory and rejoicing at the image, the projected image of that kingdom. Psalm 89, we read it for our scripture reading. Read it again. Read the first two-thirds of it. It's an expression of the glorying in this kingdom that had not yet even been realized. A glorying in the expression of God's mighty victory and entering into the joyfulness of that kingdom that people had not even realized yet, had just been promised. And then, the last third, the people begin to lament. Lord, you've left us. You've not honored this covenant. Take your Bibles for a moment and just hold your fingers in chapter 1 or Psalm 1 and go back to Psalm 89. Look at the aspirations. Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. That's a picture of the people in the expanded, fulfilled kingdom of God upon the earth. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor your horn is exalted. And then they start singing again of this promise that's been given to David. Verse 24, By my faithfulness and by my mercy shall I be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers, and he shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall stand firm in him. His seed also will I make to endure forever. His throne is the days of heaven. Oh, they're singing of it. They're rejoicing of it. They're glorying in this national aspiration. Verse 38. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have broken down all his hedges. Do you see this? Go through and read it. There is this great rejoicing and praise in the aspiration of national kingdom. There is great rejoicing and praise throughout the Psalms in this aspiration out of individual righteousness. But then the individual pauses and looks and says, but it's, it's not this way yet. I'm not experiencing this righteousness. 
we're not experiencing this national expression of glory. And so the Psalms are, the Psalms are filled with lament as well. Laments for the sins of the people. Laments for the advance of the enemy. Laments for the loss of sweet fellowship with the Lord. You'll find them punctuated throughout the Psalms. This lamenting doesn't cause the hope of the people to fail. These laments are a reflection that the people will not let go of the promise even though it has not been met. They still long for individual righteousness to be completely fulfilled in their lives. They still long for kingdom to be established, a kingdom to be established that would rule from out of Israel. The first psalm is an expression of the hope, the longing for the life of a righteous one and for all the promised blessings that come with that life of righteousness. The laments of the psalms reveal that the people still are looking for the full expression of the happy righteous man. They sing about it, they glory in it, but their laments say we're still looking for it to be realized. How will the hope of the psalms, how will the hope of that one happy life of righteousness be met? Will it be met by individuals who take Psalm 1 and develop around it some kind of pharisaical, scribal attentiveness to the Word of God and give themselves to study it and make rules about it to make sure that they meticulously and they mathematically follow it into some kind of equation that will result in blessedness for them and blessedness for the nation? Will that, will that bring about the blessedness they're looking for? No, it won't work. It won't succeed. We'll discover they'll have to go on lamenting. The dream is, for the psalmist, never fully realized. Never fully realized in history. There's never that moment where you meet the happy, righteous man until you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Until you meet Him. Now He is, the Old Testament prophesies Him to be called the Root of Jesse. He is the tree that rises up for the nation, the full blessed tree of righteousness that is planted by the Lord and that is watered by the streams of life. He is the tree. Romans chapter 11 refers to him as the tree. Read in verses 16 through 18. And what you discover is that you will never experience the blessedness of this righteousness in your own efforts, in your own attentiveness, you will never experience it until you are grafted into this righteous one who has brought about and realized full righteousness himself. He is the one who has perfectly kept the law. He is the one who has kept himself in all the fellowships to commune with God, the triune God alone. He is the one who is perfectly and fully blessed in righteousness. In Romans chapter 11, verses 16 and 18, it says this, for it is the first fruit that is holy, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The lump is also holy, speaking of us. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, speaking of the nation of Israel, who were pulled out of this tree of blessing, and you being a wild olive tree, that's speaking of us Gentiles, were grafted in among them, with them to become partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against those branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but that the root supports you. Jesus is the root. Christ is the olive tree. We are grafted into Him. It is not our righteousness that brings us blessing. It is His. The companionship that we seek is in Him. 
He is the tree of life, and He prospers in every season, and we find our blessing not in our righteousness, but in His alone, because He is the happy, righteous man of Psalm 1. Christ is in every psalm. When the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, that the law and the prophets and the psalms were written concerning Him, He, in a sense, changed the way in which we read our Bibles and the way in which we interpret Scripture. Here's how originally you would interpret Scripture or read your Scripture. You would read it, starting from those who originally heard it. You would read it within your current historical context, and you would read it, and you would understand it based upon your simple, basic, common knowledge of the grammar of the day. In other words, you would understand it based upon what you understand and what your history would lead you to understand and what the grammar of the day would lead you to understand and what the context in which the message was brought to you would lead you to understand. That's how you would understand it. Now, you might understand as you're reading it that there's parts of it you don't understand. But you don't worry about that. You understand what you understand, and you embrace it. And that's good hermeneutics. That's a good way to interpret Scripture. You should interpret Scripture, by the way, not in your historical context, not in your grammatical context. You've got to understand the ones who heard it first, the ones who originally heard it. You have to understand it from their historical perspective, from that moment in time in which the Word was brought forth. From the grammatical rules, you understand it there. And then you come to an understanding of what it meant to them. Then once you understand what it means to them, you can apply some principle to yourself. Or you can see what God is trying to say to them and you grab the meaning and the truth. That's good hermeneutics. That's the good rule. But when the Lord Jesus said, all these things are about me, he changed the rule of hermeneutics to some extent. Now what he says is, it means at least what you understand it to mean. Or in the least. So when they read it, they'd say, okay, I understand my historical perspective. I understand the grammar of this thing. The common sense thing would mean that we should live holy lives. We should avoid companionship with people who are living in compromise. We should devote ourselves to be disciplined in the meditation of the Word of God. We should learn to develop the ability to hum this Word. I understand that part. See, that's understanding in its context. But that's not all it means anymore. When the Lord Jesus said, these things are spoken about me, the Lord Jesus imposed himself over all of Scripture. It means at least that, but it means far more than that. Because now it's all about the Lord Jesus. Now it's all about his life. Now when we look at Scripture, we cannot ask ourselves simply, what did it mean to those who heard it for the first time? What was their historical context? What was its grammatical context? But we must ask ourselves, how is Jesus Christ all over this word and all in this word? Because it's all about him. And he changed the rule of our hermeneutics when he said, these were written about me. And we changed the pursuit in terms of not just becoming somehow historical anthropologists studying the past. He's living and abiding in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we seek to know him now. Understand me. It at least means what it says. You can't change it. He doesn't change the meaning. He doesn't change. He said, he doesn't come and say now, you thought I meant that, but I meant something entirely. No, it at least means that. But it means so much more than that. It takes on such greater depth when we see through it Christ. So, we have not simply been granted the permission to see Christ in the Word. We've been given the obligation to impose Christ over all of the Word. We cannot look at Psalm 1 is just a passage extolling the ideal that we all practice righteousness, that we simply devote ourselves to keep good company and meditate and hum God's word and God's will. Now, we should do that because it at least means that. We should do that. God wants us to long after that. But if we just long after that, 
If we just say the answer and solution to my life is keeping the right company and just meditating God's Word, well, get ready for a lot of laments. Because you'll find that in yourself you can't do it. Your righteousness will fail you. Now read it again and say, Oh, I long and aspire to be this way because my Jesus was this way completely. Now aspire after it because not I want to achieve my own righteousness, but I want to rest in His righteousness alone. Not I want to be my own planted tree, but oh, by the Spirit of God, I am engrafted. I am grafted into this happy, righteous man, and His life is my life. His fellowship is my fellowship. His delight is my delight. His prosperity is my prosperity. And I am in His congregation. And by His righteousness, I stand through the judgment alone to rejoice in the presence of God forever. And you find Christ in every psalm and you're rescued from a life of lamenting. And when you read the laments in this day and age, when you read the laments of the psalm, you're reminded who answers the lament fully and who has answered it for us is Jesus Christ. And you turn into Him again and again and again. Let's bow our heads. Let's give Him glory. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.